Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up for this interview of our special guest today, Scott Kiesel. For over 35 years, Scott has helped people navigate the challenges at the intersection of money and relationships. This is going to be a great conversation. As the senior partner at Ronald Blue Trust, he serves in both the private wealth division and the professional athlete division. Prior to joining Ronald Blue Trust in 2001, Scott worked as a financial consultant with Shearson Lehman Brothers and Merrill Lynch. Scott graduated magna cum laude from the University of Indianapolis in 1986, where he played basketball and received the Wall Street Journal Award given annually to an outstanding student in economics and finance. An active member of the community, Scott has traveled on many international mission trips with several of his professional athlete clients and has led basketball camps for inner city youth. He serves on the Wheeler Mission Ministries Board of Directors, the Oaks Academy Board of Trustees, and is a member of Kingdom Advisors. Scott and his wife, Laura, live in Indianapolis. They have two adult children and three grandchildren. Scott, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Hey, I'm excited to have this conversation with you about observations that you've had in your many years of what you do managing people's wealth and money and the the benefits of money, the implications of wealth, and even the dangers of it. I'm sure this will be a very interesting conversation. So super excited to have it with you. I've shared just a little bit of your background, but if you could, before we dive into this, can you just give our listeners a little bit more backstory on how you came to be in the position you are today? Yeah, love it. Thank you for the kind introduction. I think I'm going to play that on loop for my kids and grandkids. That that sounded far more impressive than it really is. <laughs> but love helping people with finance decisions and came to learn of Ronald Blue Trust as I was a stockbroker decades ago and taught a class at my church. And the materials happened to be a book, a classic book called Master Your Money by Ron Blue. And we used those materials as coursework for the class that we were teaching. And through that became introduced to Ron Blue, the organization, what we do as a firm, and the folks here in Indianapolis actually were just starting to grow and hired me on now over 32 years ago. So it was through Ron Blue's book that I became introduced to our firm. Wow. So you've been with Ronald Blue, you said 32 years doing what you do. Is it accurate to say managing others' money or what exactly do you do? Yeah, that's a component of it. The heart of our organization is financial planning. It's using biblical wisdom to arrive at plans to help clients achieve their God-given goals. Investments are a piece of that, but it's understanding your cash flow. It's managing your margin. It is tax preparation and planning. It's estate document preparation and review and, and planning for all the pieces that go along with managing money. So as I understand it, you're serving both in the private wealth division and the professional athlete division there at Ronald Blue. Can you tell just for our listeners and for myself, what, what is the difference between the two? 
Yeah, so we've got unique divisions to serve segments of our clients. So business owners, we've got a business consulting division, we've got a family office that serves kind of the billionaire set of clients and the unique problems that they have. Professional athlete division, our division serves over 125 professional athletes and uh, do everything from what I just described to pay bills, to, to help them deal with all the unique problems that athletes have with money, especially at a young age, and help navigate through that and do that well. And then the private wealth division, I, I kind of call them the working wealthy, right? They're doctors, they're attorneys, they're folks that, that make a great living, need assistance, delegating the complexities of, of taxes and investments and cash flow and managing the day-to-day -day pieces of their money. We kind of serve as a personal CFO, if you will. I manage a lot of those pieces for folks. Gotcha. So is most of your day-to-day -day time spent with the private wealth division or with the one or more of the 125 professional athletes that you all help? It's a little bit of both. So each day I'm probably in contact with a few private wealth clients and a few professional athlete clients, and it's a good mix of both of those. I've got clients all over the country that I go and see. And while I live in Indianapolis, we serve clients and they tend to move and re-sign with other teams, yeah. don't they? So yeah, They do. Yeah, I, I tend to go coast to coast to see clients. Do you become fans of certain players because you do business with them or is it just business is one thing? I know you were a college basketball player, so you've got to at least love that sport, if not others. Well, I am a fan, but try to treat our clients as individuals. So it is rare that we would talk sports. One of the unique opportunities we have is to peer behind the scenes into their lives and to understand family issues or marital problems or financial issues that they're talking about. So it would be really rare for us to even talk about the game. I'll go to games and watch, but again, don't pry into that side of the world. I think it's good to have them let their guard down. I was with an athlete client last week and I bought dinner for him and his wife and the, people don't do that for us, you know, to just treat them as people and get to know them as individuals is a real honor. I love that. And I've got so many questions I want to ask you, Scott, but before I, I get into more of the things with money pertaining to money and the wisdom and lessons you've learned, you've obviously had a lot of success professionally yourself. I'm just curious what you would say has been one of the keys to your success before I jump in to start talking more about some of the practical tips you have for money. Yeah, I think that intersection of faith and finances is key. And my wife, I love sports. I played sports in college and my wife prayed that I would get some athlete clients. This was years ago before we even had a professional athlete division. And God just brought some in unique ways. And then they refer to others and that has continued. And so that's just been a joy. And I think prayer has been a key part of that. Love it. That's probably a great segue into what are some of the challenges that you have seen and I'm sure continue to see revolving around money. And I know that's a general big, big question, but one, even just one of the bigger challenges that you see maybe on a recurring basis, potentially. Yeah. For all of us, you know, money brings challenges and I think money has gravitational pull. It has the ability to form us. And scripture is very clear about warnings. What's the one resource that Jesus didn't have when he walked this earth? Money. 
And yet in our culture, especially, we turn to money as the answer. And so we can get pulled into this illusion that more is the answer, that money equates to success. And it can be really dangerous when we fall into that trap. Again, the Bible warns us about that. First Timothy 6 says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. First Timothy 6, 9 and 10. And what I think is interesting about that is it's a self-inflicted wound, right? Did you hear that? They've pierced themselves with many griefs. Money doesn't have a mind of its own. We tell it what to do. And people get in trouble all the time. Sometimes it's outside factors, right? There are a thousand variables that come into play with investments, with financial decisions, and some of those we don't control. But a lot of those we do, and we get to tell it where to go and how we spend it and how we use it. And so we want to avoid those self-inflicted wounds as it comes to money. And again, that formative role that money has in our lives, I think, is key in understanding that because money's just a tool, right? God gives us money as a tool. And there are parables on how we use it. Parable of talents, a good one. Matthew 25, yeah. Right? And it's about one thing. God gave us money. What did we do with it? I mean, it's very clear that those who handled it well we're told, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm. And so we have this clear responsibility to use this tool wisely. And that's what I love about what we do is to enter into those conversations with people and step back and reflect on what that looks like. Because our firm is unique, unlike some that may say just adding to the pile is the goal, the highest rate of return, the highest amount of accumulation. We recognize that money is a tool. So you think of a, a tool like a hammer, right? A hammer can be used to build something constructive and do great good. But in the hands of a wrong person, a hammer can also be a weapon that could kill or destroy. Right. So you asked about what are some of the challenges, like with young athletes, they've got family members that come out of the woodwork and need help, need assistance, want money. They, in some ways, have to parent siblings, to parent their own parents, to take this unnatural role yeah. and using money as a tool and understanding, am I helping or am I harming? And we all face those same decisions with kids, for those of us who have families, with other family members, with how we use money to reflect on the fact that it's a tool, it can be helpful or harmful, and we want to use it in ways that maximize its impact and are healthy to those around us. That's a good word, Scott. Say you mentioned Jesus not having money and not to get too far off of where we're heading in this conversation, I think, but what do you say to somebody who says, well, yeah, Jesus had no money, as you pointed out. Well, why do we need to be so concerned about money? And you mentioned the passage there that talked about the love of money is the root of all evil. And I think that might be one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. You know, they leave the word love out. The love of money is what's the root of all evil. And I've seen, I'm sure you have too, plenty of people without money that love it. 
They love it and they wish they had it. And then I've seen plenty of people with lots of money that don't love it and vice versa in both camps. So a key being the love, but the love of money, not money itself being bad. But what do you say to those people? And maybe that's what you say to them. I don't know. Maybe I just answered my own question, but to someone who says, Jesus didn't have money. Why do we need to be so concerned about money? Jesus didn't have money, but he talked about it all the time. True. Over 2000 verses in scripture that relate to money and possessions more than prayer and faith combined. So yeah, he wasn't walking around with a big checkbook solving problems in that way, but he knew the power that money has in our lives. There are volumes written about money in the scriptures, and it comes down to some basic principles. We're to earn it honestly. There are scriptures that talk about just that quality of integrity and how we earn it. We're to give it generously. Volumes on giving generously in Proverbs 22, 9 says, he who is generous will be blessed. We're to save it appropriately. That's emphasized as well. We can go to the ant and consider its ways and how it stores up. So every spending decision is a spiritual decision. One of the overarching principles is God owns it all. If we really believe that, then whether I give it away or spend it or invest it, those are all spiritual decisions. And then finally, invest it wisely. So there are scriptures that outline all of those pieces to give us direction on how to use it appropriately so that we're not piercing ourselves and we're not doing that self-harm to ourselves, our family, or others, or letting it form us into something that we don't want to be. I love that. What is your best advice to someone who says, I don't want it to form me into someone I don't want to be, whether I make 20,000 a year or 20,000 a month or 20,000 a day, I don't want it to form me into somebody I don't want to be. What advice would you give to that person? It starts with humility, right? Scripture talks a lot about the blindness and Jesus was harsher on the arrogant, on the proud than any other group. They were blind to him. They were blind to spiritual truth. And our firm verse, our foundational verse is 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, which says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. I love that. You know, if you're going to talk to a group of rich people, what would you say? Maybe talk about investment opportunities or economics or tax savings or... No. Don't be arrogant. So good. I love that he starts there and goes on in that verse to say, you know, don't focus on money, focus on God, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. And then it goes on to this odd part, which is for some difficult to understand because it says, and then we'll store up for ourselves a treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So there's something in giving it away. There's something that we gain if we step into generosity, if we dwell in humility, step into generosity, we gain something in this life that it's experienced, and you don't get it unless you try it. That's the part that I love that you could go your whole life without experiencing that and not know that it's there. 
I love it. Such good wisdom. And I know you're pulling a lot of this from the greatest book of all time, the Bible and and straight from the mouth of God. So it is wise words, but I love the different money. I won't repeat what you said, but several different money tips you just gave that were straight biblical principles out of Proverbs and other places. So I love that. One to kind of switch gears back to challenges and dangers and warnings, maybe even from your experience of what you've seen What are some things that we all need to really be aware of so that we don't make the mistakes with money, regardless of how much or how little we have? What are some of the dangers you see in your occupation for 32 years? You mentioned with the professional athletes, obviously, they come into a lot of money when they make it to the major leagues or the NFL or whatever it is. And now they've got family coming out of the woodwork and having to parent their parents and parent their siblings. And I can only imagine the dynamics in the relationships there. But what are some of the other challenges that you see or warnings that we should all take heed as it relates to money? Yeah, let me take a long-winded route to the answer to that question. And I'll go back to a piece of our story, which I think plays in for me as it relates to challenges. So my wife and I just celebrated our 40th anniversary. We were married as teenagers. So she became pregnant at 16. I was 18 at the time. You think about the challenges of teenage parents and then going through school. She, you know, had a baby as a junior in high school and uh, arranging childcare and a oh, yeah. to get to school her senior year. And, you know, I was freshman in college and kind of working through all those challenges. I think one, you know, we don't need to shy away from challenges, right? Right. Brian Loretz, who's a, a pastor, a great teacher. He says, your past may explain you, but it doesn't excuse you. So we know that everyone experiences challenges. And if you're not today, you will tomorrow. And those can be interpersonal, they're financial, they're job-related, they run the gamut, right? And so part of life, as we've raised our kids, and it does play into mistakes I've seen others make with money is not sheltering them from challenges. There's a great video. If you haven't seen it, I want you to go check it out when we stop talking. But Kara Lawson is the Duke women's basketball coach. There's a couple minute video that she's got out on YouTube called Handle Hard Well. And she explains how life's not easy. Their job as coaches is to make things tough and for us to learn how to handle hard better. The difference is not that people don't experience certain things. It's those who are successful have learned to handle hard better. It never gets easy. Right. If you're waiting for, she says, the easy bus to come around, it's never going to happen. Be waiting a long time. Life just gets more and more challenging. And those who are successful learn to handle hard better. And what they as coaches do, once you learn to handle the tough piece that they throw at you, they make it tougher. They ramp it up. And so, you know, I think that's a piece of it as well. We we don't want to dwell on our challenges as excuses. We want to learn to handle hard better because Jesus told us we're going to experience troubles. It is going to be hard. And so one of my foundational verses, I've got a ring that's got it written in Hebrew that I got in Jerusalem. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, which says, Be joyful always, pray continuously, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. So that takes some mental toughness. When challenges hit you, when things don't go right, to step back and to be joyful in that, to be thankful for those circumstances, to be prayerful about what God's trying to teach me, and to continue to forge ahead, to be discerning about what God wants me to do in that situation. So I think all those pieces are foundational, right, to how we think about challenges. Money is a drug that can inoculate us against wisdom. You see it with people all the time. You think there's this correlation, right? If I'm more successful, people look up to me. They think I'm smarter, right? Absolutely. And we're in this unique position. It's a trusted position where people drop their guard with us. And that's one of the things I love about my job is that CEOs, Hall of Fame athletes, people can really be honest with us about their struggles, their challenges, be open about us helping them. And to finally come around to answer your question, one of the key things that I've seen is money creates relational problems, right? They handicap their kids. Right. They undermine family relationships. If you'd like to ruin your children, shelter them from difficulty. So good. The question isn't, do they learn the lesson? It's when will they learn the lesson? Do you want them to learn the lesson at 10 or 12 or 15 or at 35 when they've got a kid and a mortgage and a car and a relationship? And so many of our clients, I'd say one of the biggest mistakes that I see is they use money and with good intention, right? You become successful. You think, I'm going to make my kid's life easier. They're going to experience all the things that I didn't experience. Well, the things you experienced are what led you to be successful. So good. To struggle, to fight, to be on time, to have integrity, to tell the truth, to fight for what you want, and you're shielding them from that. And I'd say that's one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen over years, seeing now adult kids who their parents and their money have become their sufficiency. They never learned for God to be their sufficiency or to learn to take care of themselves. And it's because their parents shielded them. Scott, that is so good. I don't know who needs to hear that. I need to be reminded of that. It breaks my heart when I speak with successful people. I mean, I had a conversation not that long ago with somebody who is financially, I'll say, highly successful. And they were saying how basically they didn't have any money growing up. And I could see so clearly, and I'm sure they can see too, all the lessons learned along the way and the work ethic and all the things. Right. And I understand making it maybe not so hard on our children as maybe we had it in certain areas. I get that. But they wanted to take every bit of difficulty out of their child's life. They wanted to give them all the things. And although I understand the heartbeat behind that, it's so not in their best interest. So I just love that you shared that. Yeah, it's kind of the recipe for an anemic child, right? To shield them from those kinds of things. And I was lucky enough, you know, while we became parents and got married as teenagers, also learned so much from my dad who grew up in alcoholic, 
poverty-filled home, twice condemned. And he was a guy that, you know, made different decisions that kind of pulled himself out of that. And we'll have dinners. We do family dinners with four generations every week or so at our house. And we'll have what we'll call legacy dinners and just ask him, why did you make the decisions you made? Why aren't we a family that's caught in poverty? What decisions did you make differently? And part of that is just grit. I mean, it's just that toughness to say, we're going to change things. He says the two things that really changed him, right, were faith and education. Somebody fired him and said, you're too smart to work this job. You need to go to college. And he worked his way through night school and got an education. And it was faith in God and it was education that changed the trajectory of his life. But it was tough. And he learned how to handle hard and then pass that on to us. And even now with my grandkids, I mean, we've got certain mantras that we repeat that I've learned so much from clients, not just the mistakes they've made, but the things that they've done well. Do you mind sharing one or more of those real quick, those mantras? Yeah. So one is from an NFL Hall of Fame quarterback. He did this with his kids and great Christian guy. Is this one of your clients you're referring to or no? He is not. Okay. He started by saying, you are the head and not the tail. And they repeat, I am the head and not the tail. You are above and not below. I am above and not below. You are created in the image of God. I am created in the image of God to do good things and to love people. And we don't have the time to dive into all of that, but that head tail thing goes back and we talk about this. What does that mean? There's a passage in Deuteronomy where it says, if you learn to obey my commands, you're going to be the head, not the tail. You're a leader, not a follower. You are different. That above, below is not better than, worse than. You're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. You think about things differently. You rely on godly wisdom. So we talk about what those mantras mean, but say that every time we're together. And another Hall of Fame wide receiver who is a client had a whiteboard in his kitchen. So as our kids grew up, we had a whiteboard in our kitchen. We put verses on there. We draw pictures. You know, I mean, the kids love erasers and markers, be able to draw pictures, but we would use that as a teaching tool constantly and have things up there for them to just digest and see every day and consume. So fun. So fun. And I love the uh, legacy dinners. Is that with your father? Yeah. I love that idea having the older generation over for dinner. And if I understood you right, it's just all about asking them questions of the past and wisdom and history and stories and and that sort of thing. Is that what it is? Right, exactly. How cool. And what an appropriate name, Legacy Dinners. This has been so good. Before I move on to some kind of rapid fire questions that I have several of for you, is there a money management tip or maybe an investing tip? Again, kind of a wide open question that you might just go, yeah, here's one I'll leave for the listeners before we kind of move off of this deeper dive into the money challenges and benefits and things that come along with it. There's lots, but I'll pick one nugget for you, Alan. All right. Ecclesiastes 11.2, divide your portion among seven or even eight because you don't know what calamity may come upon the land. So that old principle of diversification. So in the lives of our clients, as we seek to be obedient to Scripture, to follow God's principles, 
that means that they do have diversified portfolios. They've got some U.S. stocks. They've got international stocks. They've got real estate. They've got cash reserves. They've got bond. They've got seven or eight different kinds of investments because we don't know what calamity may come upon the land. And so that's one nugget that I'd throw out there. That is Ecclesiastes 11.2. 11.2. I love it. So my 90% vested into real estate would probably not fit that super, super well is what I think I'm hearing you say. If I was your client. <laughs> think about a little more diversification. All right. I like that. If you could go back in time, knowing what you know now, and you can put it in the context of money, or you can open it up to the context of life in general, because on this podcast, we're talking about not only is life hard and full of challenges, as you mentioned as well, but we can have success. And thankfully, God gave us some principles in his word to help us have success. But there's things we've learned and we're going to continue to learn. But if you could pick one of them and go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what might be one of those things you would say? Buy Apple stock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certainly. It's hard because even though life came with challenges and difficulties, and if anybody's married, you know, it's been married for decades, they know the ups and downs of relationships. If you've raised kids, you know how challenging and exhausting that is. Yours um, were, Scott? Yours were? Yes. <laughs> Mostly because we didn't know what we were doing. Right. First time parents. We were first time <laughs> parents too. It's crazy. That's right. That's right. So, I don't know that I would go back and change anything, but one piece of advice would simply be to listen more, to be a better listener, to be more humble. You know, when you're young, you think you know more than you do, and to do twice as much listening as talking, I think would be key. Yeah, I just had someone share with me the other day, he said, the ability to learn is the greatest ability one can possess, something along those lines. And I am definitely committed to being a lifelong learner. And what's interesting is the more I learn at almost 51 years old now, with hopefully 60 or 70 more years to go, Lord willing, it's like the more I realize I have to learn and, and, it, and it gets even more exciting. So much to learn. So let's keep this question in the context of finances. For those that are listening that maybe are right in the midst of a big financial challenge right now, is there some general advice or just one piece of wisdom or encouragement you might give to them? Yeah. And we run into this a lot because we teach professional athletes and a lot of folks will come in with financial challenges or they just have an investment advisor, but construct a plan. Whether you're in financial difficulty or abundance, have a plan. And most people haven't done the hard work of doing a plan. Just like a business has pro formas that you can look out one, three, five years and do projections. Let's look at your cash flow. Let's look at your taxes. Let's look at your spending levels. Construct a proactive plan would be my core piece of advice. And when people do that, it is just eye-opening. They gain confidence. They're able to make proactive decisions. They come together as a couple and communicate more effectively that I would say, you know, have a plan and don't be afraid to take that step. Because for a lot of folks, they've never done the hard work and it's a little scary, especially if they're in financial difficulty, to look at the tangible decisions that need to be made and the steps that need to be taken to get out of that challenge. So true. Yeah, it's easier not just with finances, I guess, with any area of our life, just to kind of bury our head in the sand, so to speak, and just kind of ignore it and hope it's going to get better, hope it's going to go away. And 
that's not the way it, it usually works without a plan that's going to be executable. So I think that's incredible advice for all of us. Do you have a favorite success quote, maybe relating to money or maybe just relating to success or entrepreneurship or business or life in general? Yeah, I don't know that I have a success quote that's my favorite. This one just popped to mind, though. I was always a fan of John Wooden, the old basketball coach. He happens to be from Indiana, extremely successful coach at UCLA. And John Wooden, to paraphrase his quote on success, is success is peace of mind, right? It's a direct result of the self-satisfaction of doing your best to become the best you're capable of becoming. And so that's a paraphrase. I read that book in middle school and did a report on it. So it's been a few years since I looked at it, but it's always stuck in my mind that success is an elusive term for a lot of us. And again, in our culture, we tend to equate success with a bank balance. And some of the most successful people that I've met are people of integrity, but little means. Yeah. And have a tremendous impact on this world through their influence, their wisdom, and what how God has made them. And so I think that speaks more directly that success is a broad term, and you can be successful regardless of career or income. Such a great point. And we can go all the way back to episode one of this podcast, where I started off telling a little bit of my story and trying my best to define success as I would define it. And generally just trying to communicate what you just said at the last point of that is just that it's so much more than money to have success and finances in a failed relationship is not my idea of success overall. Right. Yeah. I love that quote by the John Wooden, by the way, but I find it interesting that although he was a very famous coach at UCLA, that he is from Indiana. See, I didn't even know that. Absolutely. I love it. What would you say is one habit that has helped you become successful, Scott? I'd say discipline. Growing up playing sports, you know, the lessons that I learned in the daily discipline of hard work, uh, I think is just invaluable. And as we think about our kids and grandkids and our kids started working when they were 14 years old, a mentor told me, hey, you make your kids work. And this guy, very successful business owner, godly guy who was a mentor to me, again, as a young parent, I just followed his guidance. And so being disciplined, and that's a scriptural principle as well. We're disciples, we're followers, and we're always to be learning and following more closely in the footsteps of Jesus. Love it. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? I think back to that same gentleman right? Who, who told us, have your kids work, have them have another boss. Parenting advice that really stuck with us. I still remember some of the things that he told me. I think another thing is just giving, being generous. We heard a guy talk and he had become a very successful businessman. And over time, he increased his giving 1% a year. And so years ago, this has been 20 some years ago that my wife had said, well, you know, we were tithing, we were faithful and said, let's just start that journey as well. And so over the next couple of decades, just kept increasing 1% a year, 11, 12, 13, you know, and just kept going. And to see what God did through that opened up relationships and opportunities to travel. And now we've got friends in Calcutta, in Brazil, in Spain, in El Salvador, in Nigeria, in Romania. I mean, the relationships 
it's back to that passage that said, be generous and it'll open up this life that is truly life. And this past January, we had the experience of taking now the third generation. So we went, our son, Tony, as a dentist, went, and now our grandson, Caden, went to El Salvador and did a medical mission. Tony runs dental clinic. We're able to help serve and to see three generations pouring in to the needy internationally and seeing God at work in a different way, in a different culture, in a different country was just a home run. Wow. That's super special. Love hearing that. Was there a book you might recommend for the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway listeners? Yeah. And I thought, you know, relative to finance, there's so many good books that I've read over the years, but one that I think is foundational and we share a lot with our clients is called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's almost a booklet. It is so short. You can read it on a plane ride, but it is so foundational to understanding money correctly and how God rewards us in how we use money and how we give money and share it and how it can be used to form positive things in our life, both for now and in eternity. Randy Alcorn, I'll have to check that out. And this is, I think, the biggest question, and I mentioned it just a minute ago when I was talking about episode one, but for you, what would you say is your definition of success? Yeah, I think it's relational. I think being obedient to the Lord, a strong relationship with God and others, first and foremost, family. I think that's critical to success. And we have kind of family values, right? And talk about those, you know, Kiesel's make things better everywhere they go. We just make things better because that's what Jesus did. He made things better for people wherever he went. He healed, he listened, he served. So that's what we do. And one of those things that goes along with that is just being willing to be obedient and surrender and sacrifice. And so I, th- I think that's key for our family. So good. I love that. Kiesels make things better. I love little mantras or, or slogans or things like that, that we can just instill into our children. And in your case, soon to be, hopefully in my case, grandchildren and others. It's so fun. What excites you about the future, Scott, in general, or maybe something that you're pursuing or working on or just anything in general that excites you? Yeah, I continue to be excited to pour into lives of players and clients. And I'm just speaking of client, the NFL drafts tonight and, and got a guy who's going to be a top 10 draft choice and just, you know, talk last week to guide them. You know, I mean, he's a kid, you know, the signing bonuses in first round, just the signing bonuses are probably going to be 20, 30 million dollars plus. Wow. So overnight, he is going to have an amount of money that most people will never see. And to guide him into making good decisions so that he can be in charge of that money and directed and the money not consume or form him is an exciting thing to be able to have those conversations with those kinds of people and know that they want to do it in the right way and guide them is exciting. What is the best way for our listeners who may want, I don't know if you do social media or not, but connect with you or follow along on your journey? Yeah, they can reach out directly through our website at ronblue.com via email. 
My email is just my name, scott.kiesel at ronblue.com or by phone. I don't do a lot of social media, uh, kind of keep up with the family, but yeah, they can reach out by phone directly as well. Great. And I'll put both your website and your email in the show notes below for our listeners to easily access. The email was scott.kiesel at ronblue.com. Correct. This has been awesome. Any closing comments, Scott, that you would like to share with our listeners before we wrap this up? Thank you for allowing me to share and just share a few nuggets and what I'm learning as we journey along together and, and try to navigate this life well. I'm excited for your listeners. I know that each of our lives does contain challenges and love your tagline. You know, it's hard, but succeed anyway. And Christ is our model of suffering and success. And all of life is this process of surrender. And I have to go on my knees and surrender those pieces of ego and pride and what I feel are success moments and surrender those to the Lord to maintain the focus that I need to have the impact that he wants me to have. That's a great word to go out on again, Scott. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom around money and other things with our listeners today. It's been fun. Thanks so much, Alan. Hey, hey, thank you so much for listening. I hope you got a ton of value from this episode. And as a token of appreciation for enjoying the show, if you don't mind leaving a five-star rating as well as a genuine review, whether it's just a sentence or a paragraph, that's up to you. I would like to show my gratitude to you by sending you a free sample of our all-organic 22-amino acid meal replacement protein shake. We'll even cover the shipping cost. I drink this every day and love it for the blood sugar control, fat burning, natural energy, and strength building it's provided me over the past 22 years now. And I'm confident that you will love it too. When leaving a review, simply take a screenshot of your review and send it over to me on my Instagram account, at Alan B. Blaine, found in the show notes below. And be sure to include your mailing address so that we can get this shipped out to you right away. Thank you, and we'll see you on the next episode.